Howdy, y'all. <laughs> if you don't know who I am, my name is Tony Sorcy, and uh, I have the privilege of being our campus pastor um, out at our Cedar Lake campus where we're streaming live. So just want to send a shout out to uh, um, all the folks over there at the Cedar Lake campus. Uh, they got me slumming it out here in Crown Point this weekend. <laughs> so uh, I'm with you guys uh, in spirit out there. We are in the middle of a string of messages related to Mission Them 2.0. In the last two weeks, uh, we've heard uh, two great messages, uh, one on how the gospel and how it relates to race and diversity in the church, and another on the gospel and how it relates to our hearts and our money in this materialistic culture of ours. And we're continuing today in this kind of theme. And what I want to talk about is the gospel and relating to those who are outside the faith in a message I'm calling Mission Them One-on-One. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Personal mission, one-on-one relationships, gospel conversations. And so before we get into that, let's remind ourselves here at the outset of another Mission Them-related message of what God has called his church to be about. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. I just want to read this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we have called this over the years the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus has called his church to be about. Now, in this Great Commission, in this mission, there is a corporate expression of this Great Commission. As a church, corporately, as leaders, as pastors, as those who give direction and vision to this church, corporately, we have a responsibility to make disciples of all nations. And this is exactly what we're doing and seeking to do in all of our Mission Them efforts. The merger in Cedar Lake. The Hobart Portage Initiative, the Gary Initiative, and the expansion of God's church in Southwest Lake County. These are all expressions of this great commission corporately. So every initiative that we're proposing has come out of this passage, has come out of the heart of Matthew 28, the great commission. But what I want us to see this weekend is that there's not just a corporate expression of the great commission. There's also a personal expression of the great commission an individual expression of this great commission the responsibility that we all have to go therefore and to make disciples as the church and as individuals that comprise the church we need to come to the unwavering realization that northwest indiana is included in the phrase all nations Northwest Indiana is included in the phrase, all nations. Your neighbor and your neighborhood is included in the phrase, all nations. Your school, your place of work, your gym, your family, and all the people that occupy those spaces is included in the phrase, all nations. And so we have a mission field right where God has us, and he has called us there to be missionaries. And so it's our desire at Bethel Church that we grow in this area, that we grow towards being a missional church. And when I say missional church, I simply mean this. A missional church is one where all of its members, all of its members from the youngest to the oldest, 
take upon themselves the identity of missionaries and the responsibility of the mission. Let me say that again. A missional church is one where all of its members, everyone who is in Christ, takes upon themselves the identity of missionaries and the responsibility of the mission. So this is what we're going to be talking about this weekend. And let me ask us a question. How are we doing with this? How are we doing? What do you say we test ourselves? What do you say we give ourselves a little bit of a test on how we're doing with this? I have what I'm calling a missionary cardiogram. Five questions I want to ask us. that will kind of gauge how we're doing in this personal aspect of mission them. The first is this. Do I, do you, do you, Tony Sorcy, have regular conversations with people outside the faith? Do you have regular conversations with people outside the faith? Two, have I shared a meal with someone outside the faith in the last month? Next, have I served a friend, cared for, met a need, served a friend who was outside the faith in the last month? Have I invited a friend who is outside the faith to church, to our corporate gatherings, or maybe to a smaller gathering like my small group, my community group? And lastly, have I shared the gospel in the last month? Have the words of the person and finished work of Jesus rolled off of my tongue in this last month? And as we sit here and we look at these questions, and as I look at these questions myself, there's a lot of room for us to grow in this area, isn't there, Bethel? There's a lot of room for us to grow. There's a lot of room for me to grow. So here's what I want to do this weekend. I want to challenge us for sure, but I mostly want to encourage us. We can get up here and on this topic of evangelism and personal mission, I mean, I can, we can just make people feel guilty, right? And out of guilt and shame and hanging our heads, right? We can just kind of be shamed into being on mission. Well, guess what? I fail at this too. And what I want to do this weekend is I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us in this personal mission because this is an area where we all need some encouragement in. So we're going to be in Colossians 4, 2 to 6. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. And this weekend we're going to be talking about this personal aspect of the Great Commission. So let's get into it. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Here are the words of Scripture. Paul writes from a jail cell in Rome. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul and Silas, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God, take your word this weekend and encourage us towards the end that we would love God and love others. In Jesus' name, amen. So out of Colossians 4, I have six essentials. Six essentials for personal mission. And the first is this, prayer. Prayer. The first is this, prayer. Personal mission begins with reliance upon God in prayer. Look at verse 2. 
Paul begins with a general exhortation to pray, and then he connects prayer to mission. When he says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, just a general statement about prayer. Now watch how he brings prayer into mission. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. As missionaries, we need to come to the same conclusion that Jonah came to when he was in the belly of the fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we need to come to see as missionaries, there's a greater missionary at work in this world, and it's God. God is that greater missionary, and he is on mission in this world. God is the one who saves. In and through Christ, he has done and is doing all the hard work of the mission. He has simply invited us, his church, by his grace, to be co-laborers with him in this world that we might point people to the one who saves. We don't save. God saves. He got his hands dirty, and he got the job done. The work is finished, and Jesus declared it so on the cross. He has simply invited us into this mission of him being a part of redeeming the world. So God is the one who saves. We don't save. Our words don't save. Our tearjerker testimonies don't save. Our loving deeds don't save. Our airtight defenses of the Christian faith, they don't save. God saves. Now, God uses those things all the time. And we're going to talk about the importance of those things here in a minute. But unless God, by his grace exercises his omnipotent power to rescue those who are spiritually dead. We can talk, argue, plead, cry, and present evidence all we want. It'll be to no avail unless God, by his grace, reaches down and saves those whom we're loving, those whom we're coming in contact with. So here, get this. God saves, prayer recognizes that. God saves, and prayer recognizes that. Prayer recognizes our inability and God's ability to save. And so when we pray to God for him to save our friends, to save our neighbors, we acknowledge that he's the primary missionary in this world. And we're also in prayer recognizing our inability and his ability to save. We are not rogue missionaries out in this world doing all this by our own strength. No, we pray because we recognize we need God and they need God as well. When we pray for him to open up doors for us to speak of Christ, we acknowledge that God is the one who needs to go before us. He needs to prepare hearts and he needs to prepare circumstances. Do you see this here? Paul says, pray that, the, that, that God would open a door, that God would orchestrate a circumstance for a door to be open for the word. In prayer, we wrestle with and confess our lack of love toward our neighbors as well. In prayer, our hearts are confronted with the heart of God. That he loves unconditionally. And compared to his love, our love is shown for its indifference, right? Our love is shown for its weakness. And there we see at the heart of God in prayer when we wrestle, our hearts get confronted with the heart of God. And there we see his love for this world. And we ask God there in prayer to help us love like he loves. And we ask him to save as only he can save. And we ask him, God, open for me a door. Open for me an opportunity here today in my workplace, at this family gathering, when I'm with my buddies. Open for me a door to be part of drawing them to himself. 
And so after studying this passage, I thought back to seasons in my life where I would pray like this, and I would pray like this daily, and I was just confronted like, I haven't prayed like this in a long time. Those, that simple prayer, God, create an opportunity for me today for a door to be open that I can walk through and share Christ. And I've realized that it's been a while. Would you guys join with me in repenting this week, this month, this year, and start praying this prayer? Can we repent together in that? Because I have a feeling that we're not praying prayers like that. Some of us are, but most of us aren't. Let's repent together. Can we do that? Let's start praying prayers like this. Bethel, who knows what God can do with some people whose hearts are on fire. Recognize our inability, God's ability, his sovereignty, his power, and pray to him to create opportunities for us to be a part of this mission. So the first one is prayer. The second one is this, declaration. Declaration, or what I like to call gospel conversations. The word gospel means good news. And news is to be shared. News is to be reported, spoken, declared. News ought to come off of our tongue, be on our lips. Essential to our personal mission is the declaration of the good news regarding the perfect life, substitutionary and sacrificial death of Jesus, and also his victorious resurrection. We need to declare this news. This is part of this mission. And Paul knows this. Look at how many times in this passage Paul mentions some form of the word word or speaking here in Colossians 4. Paul asks for prayer for an open door for the word, verse 3. In verse 3 again, Paul wants to declare the mystery of Christ. In verse 5, Paul wants to speak clearly about the gospel. In verse 6, Paul encouraged us to be gracious in our speech We see this. We see this repetition here. And it's clear from this text that conversation about the gospel is essential to this mission of ours. Our personal mission in this world includes us sharing with others the good news that though we are sinners, completely undeserving, ill-deserving of God's love, God in his grace sent his son who fought for and won for us In his death and resurrection, the love, acceptance, forgiveness, and favor of the Father. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Christ fought for and won for us a reconciled, renewed relationship with the Father and sins forgiven. Past, present, and future. The gospel, friends, listen to me, please. The gospel is not advice. The gospel is not offer recommendations for a better life. It offers rescue. Rescue. And some of us in our interaction with our non-Christian friends, we're offering a ton of advice. And we're talking to them about their deeds and their actions. And we're offering them advice on how to be better when we ought to be talking to them about the good news of the one who's made an end to their sin and who can transform them from the inside out. That's what we should be sharing. That's what we need to be sharing. The gospel is not advice. Does not offer recommendations, it offers rescue. Rescue from sin, Satan, and death. Rescue from God's wrath towards sin. Rescue under forgiveness of sins and a reconciled relationship with God through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus. Good news. This is what we proclaim. The gospel is good news. And because this news is good, friends, it ought to be shared like we often share good news with joy and excitement. Have you ever found, have you ever noticed how hard it is to keep your mouth shut when you have good news to share? 
Just this morning, I got a text from our administrative assistant over at the Cedar Lake campus, Katie Anzer. Her boyfriend, Marco, asked her to, asked her to marry her, him last night. Um, and uh, she texted me a picture of the ring, huge smile on her face. Congratulations, Katie and Marco. Marco put a ring on it. And uh, you can just imagine Katie's glow this morning as she comes and has this good news to share with everybody there at the Cedar Lake campus. Right? The gospel demands this kind of joy because it is good news. The historical nature and theological nature of the gospel of Jesus demands our words. And the redemptive achievement of the gospel of Jesus demands our joy, friends. Joyful messengers sharing good news. Now, this is usually part of the conversation on evangelism where people freak out. Like, I have to talk to people. Like, this involves me, like, speaking I'm really bad at that, and I'm kind of nervous about that, right? So this is where people really kind of get tripped up a bit, all right? And I want to encourage us in this because I know that, like, some of you are just awesome at loving deeds, serving your neighbors, relationships. When it comes to speaking the gospel and really actually just kind of getting in there and having conversations about it, we struggle a bit with that. And I don't want to condemn us for that. I want to encourage us in that. But I think we need to get over this. Like, it's speaking, declaration, it's part of the gig, okay? So let's just get past that. It's part of it. We got to do it, okay? So what I have for us is four quick thoughts for us to grow in gospel conversations, okay? So four quick thoughts. The first is this. Engage in gospel conversations with other Christians. When we engage in gospel conversations with other believers, we begin to hear other believers speak of Jesus and we engage in conversations about Jesus in the context of Bible study or our core groups or our small groups, if you're not having conversations with other Christians about Jesus, how are you going to open up your mouth to talk about Jesus around a non-Christian? And so when we have conversations with other Christians about the gospel, this helps us. This helps us when the opportunity arises for us to talk to a non-Christian. Okay? So I want to re- recommend to you some form of community. If you're not in a small group, if you don't have a good relationship with other Christians, where you're dialoguing, where you're, where you're talking about the gospel, I recommend that to you. Not just for mission, but the overall purpose of your new life in Christ and the overall health of your, of your, of your life in Christ, but also for gospel conversations as well. So engage in conversations with other Christians about the gospel. The second one is this, read. Read. Read how others are articulating the gospel. Especially in our day, as they're faithfully trying to articulate the gospel in our day and age. There ought to be on our nightstand a book that we're working through. Christian, part of this thing is, is learning, is growing in the, in the aspect, in, in the discipline of the mind. To grow in our ability to comprehend. The more we read, the more we have to say. And reading helps us. Reading helps us formulate gospel words and it helps us articulate better. And so reading helps us speak clearly and fluently about the gospel. And look at what Paul mentions here in four. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. We want to be clear about the gospel. We want to be fluent in the gospel. Reading helps with that. I find that in my own life. When I'm reading, I'm sharp, right? I have more to say. So I recommend that to you. And our whole bookstore is just filled with just good books about the gospel, right? So I recommend that to you. Make reading a part of your walk as a Christian, and you'll find that it'll help you when you're around other Christians and non-Christians as well. The next one is this, think simple. 
Think simple. Sometimes the, the evangelism and personal mission, it's kind of like this big monster that's kind of confusing. And sometimes we can make it really, really hard. It's not hard. It's not hard. I'm not saying that there's not fear there. I'm not saying there's not some things to overcome, but a lot of times we need to just think simple. And so for this, I have a short little two-minute clip from uh, Pastor Tim Keller, who pastors in uh, Manhattan. And he has some great words on how we can uh, think simply when it comes to gospel conversations. I I would love to put up on a board, if I was talking to some people and I was trying to help them uh, in word ministry, I'd put up on a board a set of what I will call lay ministry behaviors which is a little bit of a, a little abstract, but a lay ministry, it, lay ministry means word ministry done by lay people, not pastors, not professional Christian workers. And I would, I would start at, um, at a very, very simple level. I'd say the very first lay ministry behavior is you let other people know you go to church. Just let them know you go to church. Say something to your colleague, say something to your neighbor. Let, just let, do you do that? See, if you don't do that, then you can't do anything else. And that's a pretty simple thing. But it's actually pretty important because sometimes you say, I'm going to church to four people, and one of them later on asks you about it. Uh, then the next would be a behavior like you simply let people know that you're a Christian and it means something to you. Maybe a passing thing, saying, well, uh, let's just say you're a woman, you've, you've been angry at your, your husband, uh, you're sharing with another woman who's been angry at her husband, and you say, my Christian faith has really helped me here. Just passing. That's it. Let it go. If she picks it up and says, really, how? <laughs> Good. If she doesn't, fine. But see, first of all, there, there are a lot of behaviors like letting people know you're a Christian, letting people know that Christianity means something to you, letting people know you go to church, that you should be doing, and they will lead in a very organic way to uh, more extensive, more in-depth kinds of uh, discussions. But you should be doing the simplest behaviors first, loving people, caring for people, being a person of integrity, letting people know your Christian faith is there, saying these kinds of things, and then it'll just bubble up naturally. I think most of us feel like if I'm going to do word ministry and I'm a lay person, I need to find a way to get the whole gospel out in one conversation or get into a debate about creation and evolution or something like that. That's not the way to go. Be simple. That's pretty helpful, isn't it? Yeah, that's helpful. Think simple. Just this last week, I was at a place um, and uh, just uh, just mentioned that I go to church with this particular individual. We had a common uh, mutual friendship. And that sparked, I would say, about a 45-minute conversation about issues of, of church and faith and life. It was a great conversation. And um, we met and exchanged some information. And so I personally attested to just the simple nature of some of these things. And so Keller's really talking about just some, just some simple first steps that will naturally lead into some more in-depth gospel conversations. But I want to encourage you guys, think simple. Think simple. The next one is this. Just go for it. Just go for it. Right? Just do it, man. If I were able to show a recording of the very first time I ever shared the gospel... It would be to your encouragement and my embarrassment, okay? I mean, like, you'd be like, dang, man, that's brutal. And it was. I was, like, reading off of notes, and I had my big Ryrie study Bible, and it's just like, what am I doing? But you know what? I was passionate, and I had a heart, and I was learning, okay? Uh, just this last summer, I was at a, I was at a, I was at a, a barbecue, 
And this guy came up to me and he goes, uh, he goes, so you're a pastor, huh? And I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, I don't really know that much about God or, or church or, or Christianity or anything like that. And I just stared at him. <laughs> I just stared at him. And I'm like thinking in my mind some things. And I just froze up. I don't know why, right? It's like, come on, dude, you're the God guy. Like you're like, you, you get paid to talk about God. Like I have something better than that. So we're going to have those moments, right? We're going to have those moments and it's awkward at first. So I just give you permission to go for it, fumble over your words, blow some opportunities and learn how to talk about the gospel along the way. Okay. Because there's grace for blown opportunities too. And we're growing. This is a journey that we're on. Okay, so now Paul not only tells us that we need to open up our mouths and speak about the gospel, but in verse 6 he also tells us the tone in which we ought to talk about the gospel. So look at what he says. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So now biblically when we hear salt, we think back to Matthew 5.13 where Jesus calls his, his disciples the salt of the earth. But here, Jesus apply, or here Paul applies uh, this word to conversation. So how should we interpret salt in context of conversation? So the most basic uses for salt are this, enhancing food's taste and preserving food. Those are the most two basic um, uses for salt. So when applied to conversation, the metaphor suggests speaking in a salty way, a tasty way. If you get some food in front of you and it's nasty, Maybe it's just so nasty, no amount of salt is going to make it tasty, right? You get some nasty food, you just push it away. When you get some tasty food, you want more. You want more of it, right? And so we need to speak in a salty way, a stimulating way, a tasty way, an interesting way, a way that begs more conversation, a way that spurs on more conversation and more questions. It also, this metaphor of salt, alludes to a kind of speaking that preserves the relationship, and it makes a future conversation or second conversation possible. Some of us, I've used this illustration in the past, come in with gospel grenades, right? And just blow up the spot with the gospel, right? And you got everything out right then and there. Well, guess what? There's no more conversation after you're done with your peace and you've ruined the friendship and the relationship and the second conversation is not possible, right? So Paul's encouraging us to speak in a way that spurs on further conversation. Let your words be salty. Let them be tasty and preserve the relationship. It reminds me of the reaction that some had with Paul when he was preaching the gospel in Athens. In Acts 17, Paul preaches the gospel. And afterwards they said this, we want to hear you again about this. We want to hear you again. Let's have another conversation about this. Do we talk in that kind of way when we do talk? When we talk about the gospel, our words should be salty. We ought to talk in a way that spurs on conversation and questions and talk in a way that preserves the relationship and makes a future conversation possible. So gracious gospel conversations are essential to mission. But Paul's helpful to show us that personal mission is not just all us talking. It's not just all us talking. And by the way, what about those relationships or those contexts where it's just really, really difficult to have a conversation, where people don't want to talk about the gospel? The next word is this, example. Example. Paul mentions the word walk here. This refers to lifestyle, conduct. This refers to the way that we act the way we conduct ourselves. In fact, some of your translations in the ESV would say, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. So bearing good fruit, claiming to be an Ohio hiker and actually hiking towards Ohio. Okay, for those of us who are around in the first John series, that will make sense. 
living out this new life in Christ that we have, evidences of the gospel's transformative power are essential to personal mission. So now Paul says here, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders. Look at what the uh, apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or outsiders or those outside the faith honorable. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good dudes and maybe possibly one day glorify God on the day of visitation. When it comes to personal mission, we should not underestimate the role of striving to live godly when it comes to this mission. And you know, when we talk about example, really this is how the ex-military, rough-around-the-edges, blue-collar Philippian jailer was converted in Acts 16. Example, this is how he was converted. My small group guys are going through Matt Chandler's Philippian series, and he points out in the first, uh, the first session uh, that the Philippian jailer, it wasn't an intense intellectual, theological conversation that drew this guy to Christ. It was the example of Paul and Silas with feet bound up in stocks, singing out loud, joyfully, hymns, and praying out loud that that was the thing that had this Philippian jailer asking, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was the example of Paul and Silas. You know, as I think about that Philippian jailer, and as we were doing that in our small group, I just thought about, I just thought about our region. I thought about the 219, right? I thought about Northwest Indiana. And I think a lot of people in our region are like this Philippian jailer. Blue collar, rough around the edges, region dudes who aren't looking to get into long conversations about epistemology and the Christian worldview's answers to life's big questions, right? Especially, especially on a Monday after a bear's loss, right? It's like, man, keep your Jesus stuff to yourself. The bears lost yesterday. I don't even want to live right now, right? They just want to make a buck, make it to the weekend, keep your Jesus stuff to yourself. And I've heard from a number of our people that they spend a lot of time at the mills and on construction sites in difficult places like this where it's almost impossible to engage their coworkers with the gospel. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to go to church with you. And they'll be sure to take a jab at you when the opportunity arises. And I know this from personal experience as I have a background in construction. So many of the people who I know who are environments like this are asking, what do I do? What do I do in a situation like that? And if that's you, I think Colossians 4 and 1 Peter 2 have a great word for you this morning. Keep your head down. Don't grow weary and keep doing good. Keep pressing on. Be an example where you're at. And you never know what God can do through your example. Also, I just want to just mention briefly, some of us in here are paralyzed when it comes to mission because of a past failure. Because of some past sin that we've done in front of the people that we live, work, and play around. Right? And you think, man, I can't open up my mouth. I did that thing way back then. I just want to tell you that that's a lie. And I also want to tell you that the gospel redeems. And if God has worked repentance in your heart, and you're bearing fruit, and you've sought out forgiveness on that particular thing, the gospel redeems. And here's how you redeem that. You go to those people, and you apologize. And you confess Because in our apology and in our humility and in our confession, I've even heard some examples this past week of people who have done this with their neighbors. They failed. They went right over there. They apologized. And they said, you know what? What I just did wasn't consistent with who I am in Christ. And you do that. And they're going to laugh at you and not want to accept your apology. But you know what? In that you're showing that not only do they need the gospel, but you need the gospel as well. 
So redeem that moment. I just want to encourage some of us in here. Somebody need to hear that today. The next word is this, wisdom. Another essential to personal mission is wisdom. One of my biggest frustrations about some of the chatter about evangelism is when some people say this way or that way to do personal mission and evangelism is the way, right? And they get kind of caught up on this one particular way. And I just get frustrated about that. And primarily my frustration arises out of Paul's words here in Colossians 4. Two phrases I want to share with you. The first is this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. You see that word wisdom there? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul is telling me here that I ought to exercise wisdom when I'm around people outside the faith. Why? Because each person's unique. Each person is unique. Wisdom asks this question. What does this particular person at this particular moment in their life particularly need, and how can I particularly, according to wisdom, share that with them? Paul is urging us to use this kind of wisdom in our conversations. And this kind of wisdom is especially important in our day, especially important in our day. You know, there's a reason why many have called our culture a post-Christian culture. And what I mean by that is this. People today, unlike 20, 30, 40 years ago, they do not start with a basic biblical worldview. Concepts like God and sin and holiness and salvation, those are empty concepts for them or they're either confused concepts for them. There was a time in our country where a Billy Graham could get up and just assume the meaning of some words and just do some mass evangelism to God's glory. You know what? But today is a different day. And a lot of people are saying that our culture now is post-Christian. Guilt, faith, sin, cross, the historical person of Jesus. These are all confused concepts for people in our culture. In addition to that, in our culture, many have abandoned this idea that there even is such a thing as truth. Right? It's like there's no capital T truth, only lowercase t truth. Like you got your thing, man, that works for you, that floats your boat. I got my thing. Right? Don't push yours on me. Right? You got yours. I got mine. This is kind of postmodern. There is no truth. And the truth can't be discovered. And I would say lar- in large part today, even people in our culture are largely cynical. And they're very skeptical and weary of people who claim to have all the answers. So when we start to talk about Jesus, we need to realize that for some people, that opens up just a trunk full of assumptions, past experiences, and presuppositions. Because everybody is unique. Everybody had a unique upbringing. Everybody has a unique spiritual and religious background. Everybody had unique influences and experiences, unique worldviews, sets of beliefs and questions. And also, get this, unique experiences with other Christians in the past. Everybody has unique experiences with people who have come to them, maybe sharing Christ. And Scripture is telling us here, and I think it's so important for us to grab onto this, wisdom. Wisdom, so that we'll know how to respond to each individual person. So we need to trash this idea that some kind of like just across the board canned approach to gospel conversations is going to be even faithful or even wise in our culture. We need to get in there and we need to ask questions and we need to learn and we need to seek to be, we need to seek to understand before being understood. And my next word for uh, essential personal mission helps us with that. And it's this time, time, Time is essential when it comes to personal mission. Notice what Paul says here. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. 
Paul is, telling here, Paul is telling us here that we need to both spend time and make the best use of the time with outsiders. Time spent with outsiders will help us know how we ought to respond to each person. Time, listening, asking questions, learning, seeking to understand, taking advantage of the time, Paul says. Maximize it. Redeem it. Now, here's the crazy thing about this time thing, right? Most of us don't need to go and seek out to spend time. Some of us that are in Christian bubble, like me, that's kind of my context. I need to think creatively on how I can get around outsiders for the purpose of mission. And some of you are in a Christian bubble a bit, right? And you don't have any friends that aren't Christians. I would encourage you to seek out where some opportunities and some context where you can spend time. But for the majority of us, Paul assumes the time here. He just assumes it. We're already spending time with outsiders. And Paul is encouraging us. He's exhorting us. Make the best use of that time. Maximize that time. See how you can leverage it towards gospel conversations. And so what we mostly need as a church and as a people on individual mission is we mostly need to start making the best use of the time and start living with missional intentionality. We're already there. We're already in those relationships. How are you doing with that? Are you maximizing those opportunities? Are you thinking with a bit of a missionary lens, a Colossians 4 lens, where you are? If not, maybe this will be an encouragement to you. So let's go beyond the small talk. Stop avoiding conversations and interactions. Let's start making the best use of the time and watch what God will do. Watch the opportunities that he creates for you. Really, really quick. How many of you guys have heard of Francis Schaeffer? In the whole like evangelism, mission, apologetics world, Dude's kind of a big deal. And um, he said if he had one hour to spend with somebody, just one hour, he would take the first 55 minutes asking questions, learning, learning them, learning their background. And then he would take the last five minutes. And what was best for them in that moment, he would try to help them take a next step towards Christ or whatever it is that they needed. I think there's some wisdom there. More listening, more seeking to understand before being understood. Less talking, let's be wise. So spending time with people, listening, seeking to understand, this is what we need. Last thing, last essential when it comes to personal mission, and it's this, opposition. Opposition. The realization that not everybody is going to be thrilled and throw a party because we're trying to love them in Jesus' name. There are going to be some people who not only do not receive this good news, They don't receive the person sharing the good news. Some will dismiss us. Some will mock us. Some will distance themselves from us. Jesus said that some will hate us and deliver us unto death. We need to come to this realization. We're going to face opposition. Not everyone's going to be thrilled with who we are or what we're we're about. Not everyone's going to receive this news. This is part of the cost that we need to count as missionaries and as disciples on this personal mission. Now notice this. Paul's writing from jail. Paul's writing from jail where he's in there on account of declaring the mystery of Christ. Look what he says. Declaring the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Paul's in prison for preaching Christ. And church history tells us that in Rome, he got his head lopped off for doing the same. Paul was beheaded for preaching Christ. Opposition. It's going to happen. We're going to experience it. So as of right now, where we live, in our context and in our day, 
We don't need to fear prison as of right now, and we don't need to fear beheadings for preaching Christ. But I do know that out of fear of what others will think, say, or do, that many of us have imprisoned the gospel in our relationships and our conversations, simply out of fear. And friends, I'm not condemning us for this. I'm empathetic because I struggle with this fear too. I struggle with this. This is a big hurdle in my life. If we are all honest, fear of men and the approval of men is a huge issue for us. And we need to face this issue. And at this point of the message, this is where we, the Christians, not the non-Christians, but the Christians, need the gospel. How do we get over this fear hump that paralyzes and quiets so many of us on this mission? As I was thinking about this, I thought back to that passage in 1 John 4.18 when we went through the 1 John series. Perfect love casts out fear. We need to overcome the fear hurdle by the love of God and the gospel. We need to know this, rehearse this, sink this into our minds and our hearts that Jesus died and rose again to secure the Father's love and approval in our lives. We're fearful of man's approval. And man's approval is elevated in our minds and our hearts. We need to rehearse the gospel and reverse that. The love of God and the acceptance of God needs to eclipse the fear of man in our lives. And we need to realize this, that the only person in this world whose opinion actually matters crushed his son to make us his own. He crushed his son to welcome us freely into his family and to call us children. We need to rehearse the gospel. The approval of God in the gospel needs to overcome our fear of man. And so if you're like me, you struggle with this. Find strength and courage for the mission and to overcome that fear in the gospel. And so it is really, friends, if you think it's the same gospel that those who are outside the faith need, is the same gospel that you and I wake up needing every single day. We need the same thing they need. In fact, some people have said of mission that it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. We don't come from a position of authority or superiority. We come as beggars. We come, we come as those needing the same grace that we're pointing them to. And may it be this gospel that we rehearse and preach to ourselves first. And may this gospel just swell our hearts up with joy and excitement. And from that heart, from a base of that heart, may we go and share this gospel wherever we live, work, and play. Let's pray. God, thank you for.